Hello and welcome to the second in our bonus series of Facilitate Talks, the live shows recorded at Advanced Therapies Connect 2021. In these episodes, we are producing a short podcast format to hear from the speakers for each day of Advanced Therapies Connect, exploring their fields of expertise a little bit further. If you're unfamiliar with Facilitate Talks, this is a regular podcast where myself and Anthony Davis from Dark Horse Consulting ask the big questions that need addressing in advanced therapies, inviting guests to lead the conversation and drive us towards advancing the field, as well as steering us down the road to Advanced Therapies Week in Miami in January 2022. For this bite-sized session, I will be focusing on investment and funding for advanced therapies, as I'll be speaking to Amritha Jaishanka, the Executive Director of Maryland Stem Cell Research Fund. Before we get started, however, I would just like to remind you, the audience, that the Q&A function will not be available for this session, but you will be able to pose your questions to Amritha during her session later today. So without further ado, how are you today, Amritha? Doing great, Georgie, thanks. It's amazing to have you here today. Uh, so thank you for joining us this morning or this afternoon, depending on where uh, you are in the world. Just to get us started, uh, would you be able to introduce yourself and perhaps give us a, a brief description of what you'll be talking about today at Advanced Therapies Connect? Yeah, absolutely. So hi, I'm, I'm Amrita Jayashankar. I'm the Executive Director of the Maryland Stem Cell Research Fund. Um, I'm looking forward to discussing funding and investment opportunities in cell and gene therapies at um, Advanced Therapies Connect today. Um, at MSCRF, we fund and provide resources to early stage research at universities and research institutes, as well as to startups or established companies, as well as clinical trials. Um, so I look forward to discussing ways in which we can support and grow this industry. Um, and our overall goal is to accelerate stem cell research, commercialization, and cures. And so we obviously don't do this alone. So building our sort of cell therapy, regenerative medicine ecosystems really been key to our success. And I'm hoping to do that um, as well as um, at the conference today. Excellent. Thank you. Um, could you tell me a little more about your journey into the role, as I understand that you had quite an interesting route into it? Interestingly, I, I grew up in India, did most of my early education there, and then I was in England for a while, uh, best time, um, and then I did my master's work there for a bit, moved here for, a, for my graduate degree, a PhD, and then um, through my postdoctoral training at NIH and at Hopkins, then moved into this role, um, you know, so yeah, it's been through academic industry partnerships, sort of building you know, an institute ground up and really, but all through that, I think, you know, I've been really committed to this field a lot. And it's, um, it's just great to be able to be in a role to have a broader impact on the field and help therapies get to patients. So how long have you been there, if you don't mind me asking? Five years. Five years yeah, now. October, October 2016, <laughs> time flies. Five years. Yeah, that is a really long time, especially with all the dead time with the pandemic. Um, so Without spoiling the key themes for your panel discussion later, it'd be great to get a flavour for what's been going on with you over the past year or so. Um, so what have been your highlights from the past year regarding investment and funding news or any opportunities or any projects that you have in the pipeline yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So it's been it's been a really exciting year for us at MSCRF and, you know, for our industry overall. Um, so here we just announced funding a couple more clinical trials earlier last week. And we funded a lot of research 
um, in the past year about 27 or so different disease indications, whether it's rare or more prevalent ones like, you know, cancer, cardiovascular disease, neurodegenerative diseases, um, and even COVID-related ARDS. Um, several of our companies raised follow-on funding. There's been a couple IPOs. So, you know, it's been a great time. And uh, what we're seeing is really in line with, I think, the rest of the industry trend. Um, so as you know, our, our sector had a really record-breaking year last year, I think, with about $20 billion or so in financing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks like we're already poised to outperform that this year. Um, so it's just an exciting time um, to be in the space. And, you know, COVID-19 also really provided unprecedented access in some ways for the scientific community to collaborate. And so we've been really busy and engaged with the industry as well as with our own portfolio. Um, And I'm looking forward to this collaboration with Facilitate as well. Um, So yeah, collaborations and community has sort of been my highlight. And, um, you know, I'm really thankful couldn't be more proud to be in this industry right now. Um, yeah. So you meant you touched on a little bit about how uh, the pandemic has brought more opportunity to the field. But do you have any advice for anyone who might be looking for investment opportunities, uh, especially in this phase of recovery post pandemic? Um, I think really, I think access has really helped. So I think I think that there's there's plenty of opportunities, you know, uh, whether we, we are a little more localized here in the opportunities that we provide, but our panel, I think, is going to discuss this um, and talk about why sort of this is the space to be investing in right mm-hmm. now. So, yeah, looking forward to it. So just changing track slightly, another thing that um, you've been involved in this year is Facilitates Women Advanced Therapies program. Um, and I mean, I personally joined after a couple of sessions and have been really, really enjoying the outcomes of the different roundtable conversations that we've been having. Do you have any specific highlights uh, or any uh, key outcomes that you've gained from these roundtables that you could discuss with us? Yeah, so I, I joined a little way in as well, but I really enjoyed being a part of the group and, you know, because we've been discussing various opportunities, you know, growth challenges, leadership. Um, and, you know, so I think it's, it's been great to interact with, uh, you know, like-minded people. It's been great to help contribute to recruiting, retaining, developing and promoting women in this industry. You know, it's, it's great to be part of this community. And what would you say you might be looking forward to uh, from the group for the remainder of the year or even perhaps beyond? Yeah, I mean, I so I, I think, you know, it's for me, it's always great to be part of an international group, just because my sort of career has taken me through various countries. And I really enjoy the, you know, that interaction, knowing, knowing that there are folks, um, you know, with similar interests. So I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing to belong and engage with that community. Yeah, me too. And I think especially when we can start meeting face to face and having these meetings in person, I think that's when things are going to start getting really, really exciting. So keeping with the theme of looking ahead, I actually mentioned in yesterday's session that we have been celebrating the news that the UK and Europe will soon be able to travel to the US, uh, which has meant that we've been more excited to be able to talk about Advanced Therapies Week in Miami in January 2022. So what do you think we'll be talking about in January and or or perhaps beyond uh, regarding investment and funding opportunities for advanced therapies? Yeah, it seems like, you know, it seems like we missed out gathering in person during a couple of the most exciting years we've had. So, you know, there's just so much to discuss. So, you know, we'll probably be talking about 
how 2021 was such a record year for financing, for product approvals, for you know all of these exciting new technologies and clinical trials. And uh, personally, we would have probably added another 20 or so folks to our portfolio by early next year. So we're looking forward to that. Um, and for us, when we talk about funding opportunities, you know, we're talking at an early level where we are identifying that next exciting technology and de-risking it and providing not just funding, but other resources to speed up the pathway to the clinic. Uh, but I'm sure we'll also be discussing what sort of later stage investors are looking for um, as more companies come into the space and need uh, capital, space, and people. Watch our panel to see why this is the industry to be investing in. And, you know, in January, we'll probably still also be talking about investing in manufacturing and workforce and, you know, how to how to make cell and gene therapy a little more affordable and accessible. And, and you know, beyond just what investors are looking for, we're probably also going to be discussing potency assays and what regulators are looking for, right? Um, and, you know, there's just there's just so much to catch up on. And COVID probably, you know, made us rethink some of these supply chain and manufacturing issues, which I'm sure will come up too. So, you know, we we have a front seat to watching some of the most exciting science unravel. And, you know, so I'm sort of looking forward to, you know, looking at that next wave of technologies and, you know, the next wave of gene editing approaches and, you know, watching iPS cells come into the clinic and some really cool tissue engineering advances and, um, you know, um, you know, cutting, cutting edge enabling technologies as well uh, that will help us advance um, therapies to, you know, a broad range of not just liquid and solid tumors, but also all the other devastating diseases and conditions of our time. I think on that note, we will close this interview as I don't want to give too much away ahead of your session, investment and funding opportunities in cell and gene therapies later today. So thank you for joining me for this abridged episode of Facilitate Talks, Amritha. Thank you. Great being here. Hi there, it's me again. I just wanted to pop back in to give you a sneak peek of last week's episode of Facilitate Talks focused on funding and investment. So in this episode, Anthony and myself were joined by Phil Vanek at CTO at Gamma Biosciences and Joe LaPlume, Corporate Executive Vice President at Charles River Laboratories. We discussed how different companies, uh, strategics versus private equity companies operate, the importance of financial modeling, key headlines from a year of high investment and how the two different companies or strategies might actually be able to work together before we went shopping for the perfect opportunity for investment. If you'd be interested in subscribing, please do via your favorite podcast provider. Otherwise, enjoy this segment and I'll catch up with you later. Thanks. This is going to be a great conversation and it's a real pleasure for me to be, be able to introduce in this forum people that I've known for quite a while uh, but haven't met each other before. And that's the situation today. So in the red corner, we have Phil Vanek. Uh, Phil's CTO at Gamma Biosciences, which has a relationship with KKR that we'll probably ask him about, because everybody's heard of KKR, uh, who's ever touched private equity, but not everybody's heard of Gamma yet. Uh, I've known Phil forever. 
Uh, he was wandering around Lonzo with a clipboard in, in Walkersville, Maryland, I think, when I first met him. And uh, he's been onwards and upwards uh, since then. He's had a deep involvement uh, in CCRM, uh, had a seminal role at G Healthcare, uh, you know, right before the Cytiva transition and now the Danaher transition. Oh, my goodness. And so it's a pleasure to welcome you, Phil. Thank you. And in the other corner is Joe LaPlume. Uh, Joe is, I think, you know, you're a lifer at, uh, at Charles River. I think you, you got a life sentence there. Joe's a JD MBA by training, uh, and he has been on the deal-making side of Charles River. Again, a company uh, which has just changed out of all recognition. I mean, I first heard of Charles River decades ago as, you know, sorry, Joe, the mouse house, right? Yeah. And now, uh, you know, you're, you're a massive Fortune 500 company, uh, doing all sorts of things other than uh, you know, the, the ever still critical in vivo studies that support our industry. So welcome, Joe. Thank you. And it's a pleasure to have you around the virtual table together. So, you know, Phil, maybe uh, you could just kick off by uh, explaining to us how, you know, uh, an honest citizen like you uh, becomes one of the barbarians at the gate. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. No, thanks for that introduction. It's a great question. I came up through the technology ranks, and so I've always had a passion for product launch, product development, innovation, getting new technology out to the market as quickly as possible. And over the years, through a variety of startups, as well as larger, as you mentioned, GE, Beckton Dickinson, you know, Lonza, these are large companies, um, realize that there's there there's this necessary or this need to bring innovation into these big companies. Um, and I'm sure we'll hear from Joe a little bit about how CRL does that. Um, and it's not always easy, right? Because large companies, very often getting a product out the door is not easy. Very often you bring new products to the market through acquisition of a company or a platform, and then you introduce it and you leverage what the large strategic brings, market access, operational structures and the rest. Um, so for a technologist, I love that. I love the infrastructure, market reach, the ability to just have a you know a brand attached to your you know your logo where when you show up at a conference that everybody recognizes. Um, but the thing that I found was they would tend to invest in very niche areas that are very strategically aligned, obviously, uh, and didn't always do the best job getting those companies out into the market and launching them in a very fast paced environment, which we live in today in cell and gene therapy. So the only reason I have no, I cannot make a disparaging remark about any of my prior companies until we're off the air, obviously, but uh, <laughs> more seriously, it's like I was just always frustrated by the pace at which products could get launched in some of these larger companies. So I'll finish here just to say, given an opportunity to look at a private equity opportunity and KKR is a large investment uh, organization. Most people in the investment side will know them. Uh, and they took it upon themselves to take part of a strategic healthcare fund and build gamma basically from the ground up to address this post ventures world where small innovative companies get birthed and sort of developed. And before those companies are ready to be sort of acquired and subsumed into a larger strategic organization, we felt that there was this opportunity to bring the best of both worlds, capital, talent, technology, and build us something completely new and try to be as nimble as possible. 
It's so interesting when something, you know, again, I, I don't want to stereotype KKR as this sort of colossal behemoth, but the, not that many organizations in the country or the, or, the, or the world, for that matter, can do what KKR is trying to do here. And I think uh, we'll, we're just going to really enjoy getting stuck into some more specifics. You know, uh, on the other side of, of, the, of the table, as it were, you know, Charles River has become an iconic uh, strategic in the industry, you're in some senses relatively new to Selangene, Joe, uh, but I think behind the scenes, you've probably been more active than most people realize. And I'd just love to hear a bit of the history, to be honest, uh, of, of your company, because it's a remarkable, it's a long and remarkable history. Well, th thank you. Um, much of that's to do with my boss. You know, he's been the CEO for 30 years and he's the son of the founder. So we've been around for 78 years and you're right, I, you know, you referred to it earlier, as you remember, as the mouse house or the, the rat company, as some people say pejoratively, you know. <laughs> um, I'd say it still happens. It maybe stopped happening about five or seven years ago. I've been at Charles River 16 years, the last 10 of which working in M&A and strategy. And you, there's still companies I go into meeting and they're like, why is the rat company here talking to me? And it could be, you know, some in vitro technology or some AI, even though we're, you know, pretty much only 10% of the company today is really doing 10, 12% is really doing animal production, the, the historical heritage of the company. Um, and so through a, an enormous diversification strategy that Jim Foster, you know, has been doing since the company went public 20 years ago, you know, as he first vertically integrated into the CRO space and the testing, we just keep expanding that, you know, Historically, you think of the, you know, the, the mouse house, then you think of the in vivo testing. We built up a very big CMC testing capability around biologics, which is selling gene as the new modality the last five years, even though we weren't advertising that, that did come through, through M&A and or in, in organically and organically as well. And then we built up the early stage capabilities, which is discovery, even though people thought of that more in house we started to create an outsourcing early discovery way before lead optimization or IND enabling studies. So we had this early stage capability, regardless of modality, small, traditional, you know, traditional large molecule, then new modality, you know, new modalities was something we didn't have yet. And then we started to build up the capabilities in manufacturing. And most of this has just come from, you know, client interactions. Our strategy is to really be able to go to any, biotech or our partners in the VC world and say, anybody with an idea, if it's small molecule, um, traditional, mo you know, large molecule antibody, now selling gene therapy, wherever you are with ideation, early stage, you can come to Charles River, do the early stage manufacturing, do all the testing and bring that through into proof of concept and get into the clinic. And we can do that in an accelerated basis. So that's kind of the high level strategy, supporting both on the discovery and development and now on the manufacturing. Uh, you, you spent a billion dollars this year on manufacturing for cell and gene therapy, right? That right. By, any, by any standards, that's a lot of M&A activity. Yep. That's you, right. is it, are you just getting started? Are you all done? Uh, what do you think? There's more to do. Yeah, there's, there's certainly more to do. There's certainly more to do. And, and one of the things that's interesting about what Phil, Phil, what you were mentioning, I'm assuming, as you said, Gamma is focused on somewhere in between VCs and private equity. Did I get that correctly? It's kind of early stage. And so in addition to the M&A, which you mentioned the, the billion dollars this year on manufacturing capabilities, we started a couple of years ago a partnering strategy. So we've, we're investing in technologies and we don't always advertise the investments we're doing. Some of them we do. One, which was distributed bio, which was uh, 
an antibody discovery platform, which is a next-gen phage platform that we part made an investment in, <clears throat> created an investment commercial partnership, and then ended up acquiring it. Um, there's about 12 or 13 we've done of those, and we've got just as many in the pipeline that we're negotiating with. So we're looking both at traditional M&A, Anthony, but also tech enabled partnerships. Yeah. And I'd say half of those we're looking at are in selling in the tech technology that would be early to go buy, right? Because it's, you know, pre-revenue, pre-profits. But we see, we see a lot of strategics acquiring a lot of different things each. Like you're, you're really doing some serious mixing and matching of technology capabilities, uh, production capabilities, even distribution uh, technology we see uh, at some strategic stuff like that. Um, I think, you know, and the, the really obvious immediate synergies as you start putting the pieces together, Joe. Um, but on the, on the other side, on the private equity side, Phil, do you feel you're sort of at a disadvantage there? Because can your, you know, can Gamma's portfolio companies ever be as tightly integrated as what Joe can fold together into his large strategic organization? I see yes and no. I think that the way our operating principles at Gamma are, you know, we, we like to bring companies together. Joe's right. <clears throat> we are investing a little bit earlier than a typical private equity might want to, but we are in this industry very technically and technologically focused. Um, we, we then sort of look at those investments and how do they best operate. And for us, you know, when we first started and, and Gamma's founded at the end of 2019, so we've only been in the business kind of through the COVID years. I joined uh, just before COVID hit. Um, and, and you know, at first it was kind of be like, okay, we're going to buy these assets because they're good assets. They can operate as a PL, even if they're early in their revenue or pre revenue. Uh, we think they can be a great technology and have an entitlement to play in the market. So we, that has to be kind of this you must be this tall to ride the ride. That's the gate of entry. But beyond that, we started noticing that there are so many needs of these smaller companies that are, again, they're founded, they, 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 they are typically missing one or two pieces of the functional puzzle, right? They might not have a great operational strength. They might not have great commercial reach. They might not have some of these things. So we did start to recognize pretty early on that by bringing some of those capabilities up to gamma, legal, HR, those capabilities to kind of take that pressure off the operating companies, we could sort of leverage what gamma has become. And I think Joe, you were alluding to it, you know, it, you can do so much, you can write different size checks, we can write checks up to a certain amount. Um, we can structure our deals very creatively. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to the same operating principles, great products, great people, and, and, and just the ability to move product out and get products launched into the market. So we focus almost all of our energy on helping each of our operating companies get these products to market.